0: Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Tuesday, September 21st, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds and leaky black. Matt Norlanda is here with me. And if you listened to the previous episode of the Eye on College Basketball Podcast, you know that it focused on Kentucky securing a commitment from five-star forward Chris Livingston, which gave the Wildcats two of the top six prospects from the class of 2022, among them the number one overall prospect, Shaden Sharp. And one of the points we made in that episode is that because UK was, at the time, also the perceived leader, according to 24-7 Sports Crystal Balls, to eventually land five-star center Derek Lively, who is, by the way, the second-ranked prospect in the class of 2022, it appeared John Calipari was on the verge of having an all-time great class, at least according to the numbers. At the time, again, according to 24-7 Sports, Kentucky was the favorite to eventually enroll the prospect's ranked number one, number two, number six, and number six seven go big blue but then john shire duke's coach-in-waiting went out and screwed it all up for the wildcats because on monday night Derek lively committed to duke instead of kentucky dead leg how did john shire trick last week's crystal balls and beat kentucky for Derek lively make sense of this important development
1: if you hear the duke fans it's a very important development as it specifically as it pertains to this podcast I mean, we, I think we got some people frustrated. This wasn't an emergency Monday night podcast in the middle of September. Over Duke like, Lanning, first Derek off, lively. He, he,
0: Derek Lively committed while I was on radio. He didn't plan around me. So I'm not planning around him. No, sure. And then like, I was trying to watch Aaron Rodgers and yeah. spend time with my family. We'll get, we'll get to it. We're here. Yeah. We're here now.
1: Rogers just, just destroying me. And, uh, I'm a bears fan to begin with. And then he made sure that I took a fantasy loss. So not too happy with that. But yeah, let's talk. Let's talk lively here. Um, Great job by Shire and the staff. We will have something pertaining and relating to Duke and John Shire with our candid coaches coming very soon at the site. Um, And in talking with a few coaches the past week or so, it was kind of like, you know, Mike Krzyzewski still has a lot of presence, influence over the program right now. Obviously, he's still the head coach. But the fact that Shire's been able to do what he's been able to do As the lead assistant and the coach in waiting has been really impressive. The recruiting class that he is building up. Like, there's not going to, from a recruiting perspective, there is not going to be any drop off when Mike Shashevsky retires and Shire takes over. Again, this is for the first year. We'll see where we're at in year three, year four, year five, but it's very, very impressive. I'm going to leave the bulk of the heavy lifting with what Shire's been able to do to you, GP, because I want you to hit on the points that you hit on in your column today. If you're Listening to this podcast, which you are, because you're listening to it. In the There's description,
0: no way to hear what you just said without listening to the exactly.
1: Podcast. You cannot hear what I said unless you're listening to the podcast. There will be a link to Parrish's column in the podcast uh, description, so be sure to check on through and read that as well. I'll just talk about lively real quick here. Uh, we saw him over the summer and. We both loved him more than his teammate Jalen Dern. This isn't about Jalen Dern. I'm just saying when we watched him play, not only did he look like a really, really good player for his age and at the grassroots level, uh, you know, NBA scouts were on hand to watch some of this. And I talked to, I don't know, three or four of them who all said, like, as we're sitting there watching team final, they're like, that guy pointing to Lively. He's like, no, that's, that's the guy who actually projects as like a potential really good 10-year NBA player, maybe even an all-star, because he shoots it well from deep, was the best shot blocker in EYBL this season, clearly one of the two or three best defensive players out there. And it's not just that he's, he blocks shots. He can switch out on the perimeter, uh, can guard multiple positions, a lot of really enticing talent. If you haven't yet seen who Derek Lively is, he's, no you know, 6'11", Lean but strong, um, well-balanced with both of his feet, good base, and yeah, this is a player who I think will have a very good shot at being one of the 10 best players at the end of his freshman season at Duke in college basketball. I think he's got that kind of ceiling, and certainly if that's going to be the case, he is going to be a player projected in the lottery in the top 10, potentially even in the top five because he is... What you want a modern big to be? He can stretch it, shoot it, play wonderful defense. High IQ, really, really good player. This is a wonderful get for Duke and for John Shire to have a player like Lively. In addition to Derek Whitehead and everyone else, they're going to have coming into that program. Uh, he's going to inherit something pretty damn nice in his first season once he once he picks up next year after Kay retires.
0: Yeah, this is one of the points I, we made, and um, you know, as we were at the EYBL in North Augusta. And I was seeing Jalen Dern for the first time. And I was like, I don't understand. Like, he doesn't look like the number one player in the class to me. In fact, I'm not even sure if he's the best player on his own team because of Derek Lively, who I think does project as a better NBA prospect than Jalen Durham. We'll see who's going to be the better college player um, over time. But I, I I do think he probably projects as a as a better NBA prospect if only because and it's not only because but you you mentioned he's 6 foot 11 he might be i've never measured him but he is listed at 7 foot 1 220 and as you noted you know isn't some knockdown three point shooter but you know he did take them on the UIBL circuit and make them at a um at a percentage that suggests maybe he can actually do this as his game progresses as he matures and and gets older either way After Amani Bates and Jalen Dern reclassify to 2021, Derek Lively becomes the number two prospect in the class of 2022 behind Shaden Sharp, who is committed to Kentucky. So right now, John Shire has secured commitments from um, four five-star prospects since being named the coach-in-waiting in June. It's Derek Lively, who's ranked second in the class of 2022. Derek Whitehead, who's ranked fifth in the class of 2022. Cal Filipowski, who's ranked eighth in the class of 2022. And then Caleb Foster, who is ranked 12th in the class of 2023. Duke also, Shire, has secured a commitment from Jaden Shute, who's a four-star prospect, ranked 56th in the class of 2022. So what I'm about to tell you is true. At this very moment, Duke has the number one recruiting class in 2022. Secured, and at this very moment, Duke also has the number one recruiting class in 2023. As I pointed out in the column, um, John Shire will not be able to prove he was a worthy successor to Mike Shishetsky until he moves over a chair, and he's actually the head coach and he's completely running the program and coaching the games. Anybody speaking definitively about what that's going to look like today is mostly just guessing there is a long list of assistant coaches who I personally believed would be amazing head coaches and they got their opportunities. And for whatever reason, it just did not go well. So while I'm a believer in John Shire, and if I had to bet, I'd bet on him every time. You just don't know until somebody does the job. That's just, that's just a fact. And so um, we'll see uh, what it looks like when he's the head coach in the 2022, 23 season and for Presumably years to come, but there is no getting around the fact that in all of the ways you can measure success in the role that he currently occupies, he is knocking it out of the park. He has gone from the former Duke player who is on Mike Krzyzewski's staff to the coach-in-waiting to the man who has at this moment got Duke in a position to be the number one class in 2022, the number one class in 2023. And, oh, by the way, on Monday night when he got Derek Lively and beat John Calipari and the Kentucky staff, it's the second time he's done that, the other time being with Cal uh, Filipowski. And, oh, by the way, you don't see this too often, two consensus top ten centers in the same class – picking the same school like that's an obstacle you have to overcome to convince Derek Lively and Kyle Filipowski they can play theoretically together whether they actually can we'll see you know in a couple of years but the you've got to convince them of that or you can't get this done and you know that it's done suggests that John was and his staff were very effective in that role he's knocking it out of the park we'll see where it goes Um, Oh, you know, in the next five years, 10 years, but you couldn't be off to a better start than the start he's off to and should be noted Duke is also considered the favorite right now for Mark Mitchell, who's ranked 16th in 2022 6'8 wing and JJ Starling number 33 in 2022 6'4 combo guard. So this class that is ranked number one in the country right now is probably going to get better.
1: Yeah, and we've got a nice nice little chase here. We were a little too aggressive in declaring Kentucky was going to lock up the number one class because um, the lively commitment just flips it, basically. But Kentucky still uh, has a chance to, to land another really, really good player as well. And so, hello, here we are. I mean, Duke and Kentucky, uh, just like the old days, which was basically what it was for the majority of 2010 to 2017-18, one of the two was number one and usually the other school was number two in the overall rankings there doesn't guarantee success of course in that whole span of time uh kentucky has one national championship and duke has one national championship um well two two technically if you want to count 2010 with duke but that that was right at the start of when cal uh arrived at kentucky but yeah um this is Clearly good for the sport in terms of off-season headlines and interest if you've got the two biggest brands in the sport that are vying for the top of the recruiting rankings. And we'll see if this winds up being the case for sure going forward. It very well could be. Uh, but in the age of NIL here, it would make sense that schools like Duke and Kentucky, right now Kansas is a highly ranked class. North Carolina has a, has a highly ranked class at this point. These schools, the traditional Blue Bloods, moving toward the top of the rankings in an era where those traditional basketball powers can offer the most enticing things to players that are not going to choose to go play for overtime elite or the G League or overseas with the NBL, et cetera, et cetera. So right now, Duke and Kentucky, and uh, it's not yet decided. We still got time to go, but certainly good on Shire. He's he has outperformed expectations to this point from a recruiting standpoint. But we wait and see what he does on the bench when he starts. In hello, we still got fourteen more months till we get there.
0: One last thing on this, you know, I started the column, you know, sort of pointing out that there's this old saying in coaching circles that you never want to follow a legend. Like you might want to follow the guy who follows the legend, but you don't want to follow a legend. And the reason as the saying goes is because you, you can't match that person's level of success. And when you don't match that person's level of success, you're labeled a disappointment and ultimately fired, whether you deserve to be or not. And as I wrote, like I understand that perspective. Like I get it. But the flip side of it is that when you do actually follow a legend, particularly a legend and an iconic program who is handing you something that is in tremendous shape, like this isn't some damaged Duke program or some damaged Kentucky program this is Mike Sheshewski walking away after we don't know how the season will unfold obviously but he's got a team that's good enough to win the national championship on paper talented enough to compete for the final four on paper so it's not like Mike ran the thing into the ground and then John took, is going to take over like he's going to take it on a high note and when you are replacing a legend Undeniably, big shoes to fill. But when you're replacing a legend under these set of specific circumstances, yes, there's pressure to keep it going. But it's also you've got a lot of advantages that that allow you to. Um, it sets you up for success. Like we talked about this when it was official that John was going to be elevated to the head coach. It's a guy who was trying to get to the Paul job two months earlier, right? Now think about what you'd rather be like at DePaul. You're not following a legend, but good luck trying to get that program back to respectability long list of guys who hadn't been able to do it at Duke. You, yes, big shoes to fill, but you're, you, you are recruiting from the Duke brand. You are, um, you, you, you are able to utilize all of the decades that Mike Krzyzewski built this into something and now you 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 you, Kay's not there, but it's still Duke, it's still Cameron Indoor, it's still national television twice a week, it's still playing in the biggest neutral court events in uh, the country, it's still strong Nike connection, it's still incredible. I'm assuming name, image, and likeness rights possibilities, you know. So that that's the you know I I, I get why you don't want to follow a legend. But in this case, like following a legend allows John to have a better chance at incredible success than any other first-year head coach perhaps in the history of college basketball is ever going to have had. He, based on this recruiting class that he's going to enroll before um, he coaches his first game, you know, he'll be among the, the only the, – the list is got to be short somebody who in their first year coaching college basketball at any level is going to have a roster good enough to win a national championship. He's in a great place. Moving on, speaking of Duke, Blue Devils legend J.J. Reddick announced his retirement Tuesday morning. we
2: will spend a few minutes on that next, but first, check this out. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, TaylorBrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T A I L O R B R A N D S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big
0: Beats. So Duke legend J.J. Reddick announced his retirement Tuesday morning. We don't usually talk about NBA players uh, because this is a college basketball podcast. We really only talk about college basketball, Dodo Birds, Camel Fighting, and vaccines. But J.J. Reddick isn't just any old NBA player. He's a former college star. He won National Player of the Year awards in both 2005 and 2006 He was a two-time ACC Player of the Year, two-time ACC Tournament MVP. He's the all-time leading scorer in Duke history. His number four has been retired by the Blue Devils. Deadleg, there is no argument that J.J. Redick isn't one of the greatest college basketball players in history, is there?
1: No, there's not. And weirdly enough, Redick's final season was 06. Who came into Duke once Redick was going out? John, John Shire. Shire? Yes. Shire was 2006 to 2010 and Redick was uh was out in uh in 06 and moving on to the NBA where he was the number 11 pick overall. Yeah, he was Redick was highly regarded going into Duke. Um this just landed at an interesting time. I just wanted to talk a few couple things on on Redick here. Um high school parade all-American uh, yes, he was the player of the year in 06, shared it with Adam Morrison, two-time consensus All-American, Naismith Award winner, two-time ACC player of the year, four times all ACC all four of his years um, there, all ACC freshmen, and averaged 19.9 points across four seasons of college basketball, fairly impressive there, and three-point wise, I mean, he, he, he made 3.3 a game and took 8.1 and shot 40.6% for his career. He is an all-time college basketball player. There's no doubt about it. A couple thoughts spring to mind here. First of all, I mean, did you feel like arthritis in any of your joints when you saw the announcement that JJ Redick was retiring from the NBA? Like for me, this is one of those that's like, uh, oh, this is no, this is not good. Like, this is not good. Like the JJ Reddick, I I it feels like Six years ago, I was watching him get just you know lampooned by Maryland fans. But he's he's retiring, man. Like we are
0: getting old. It's a problem. Oh, I'm very aware I'm getting old. Um, b- but I was thinking about this because every once in a while you hear about ah, so and so's retiring or so and so's doing this, and I I go, okay, what you know? Did I ever? What did I write about him? What did I? You yes. know, what, what games were I? JJ Reddick's last season at Duke, as you pointed out, two thousand five, two thousand six. I got the job at CBS in July two thousand six. I, you know, i i didn't I didn't cover JJ Reddick at all. I, I was covering college basketball, but I was a beat writer at the time, so I don't have any personal JJ Reddick stories um, at all. Although I very much remember following the JJ Reddick Adam Morrison Player of the Year race, which is you're better at this than I am. One of the more interesting, if not the most interesting player of the year races we've had in the past 20, 25 years.
1: Yes. I'm going to note on that real quick. But first, if I had gone to you in July of 2006 and said, listen, you gotta, you gotta bet your entire savings, whatever your savings was in 2006.
0: Probably got, wasn't great. Back wasn't then. great. Doing but, better now. But, but, <laughs> we're doing, but we're doing better now. But
1: to you back then, what's gonna last longer? You, you with your job at CBS or JJ Reddick's NBA career? What would you have said? Because you've outla- me. You, you've outlasted him at
0: CBS. I know. I I figured I would. All right. <laughs> there we I go. I hoped I would, but like you know, you think of JJ Red as this incredible college player. He's been 15 years in the NBA. That's like a that's a real career. I yes. mean, He was not. I mentioned earlier, he wasn't just an NBA player. He's a college star, but he wasn't just an NBA player. I mean, if you do 15 years in that league. You've yeah. I mean, that's 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 not easy to do.
1: And he was on playoff teams most years he was in the league. He actually, I. I I'm going to get to this more in a moment here. Like, J.J. Redick was a humongous college basketball star. humongous, And the idea that he could ever be the kind of NBA player where the Duke stuff wasn't, like, the very first thing that you thought about when you thought about J.J. Redick was almost imaginable, him coming out of college, but I think he pretty much did it. Like, he still has a strong association with Duke. And anyone that's listening to this podcast that's under 25, you don't really have any kind of idea, like, how big of a deal J.J. Redick was. There's one or two stars who I think are comparable that I'm going to get to in just a second. But as for your question about the National Player of the Year with Morrison, yeah, the only other one that was really close since then, and it wasn't as big of a deal, although I loved it, was... Denzel Valentine, Buddy Heald, Oklahoma. That was another one where those two players split national player of the year awards at the end of the season, the way that Reddick and Morrison did. But we don't get that often, really, where you have two guys who have clearly separated themselves from the rest of the sport, but they can't separate from each other and in the process. And in and Morrison and Redick's case, opposite sides of the country, you know. Two tiny schools, but one's the biggest program arguably in the country. And then Gonzaga at that point, it's not what Gonzaga is today. It wasn't Gonzaga of 98 either, but Morrison was one of the two or three key figures in the history of that program in terms of elevating it. So, with all of that in mind, Parrish. I would argue the key figure. I'm going to say Mark Fuse a little bit bigger than Adam Morrison.
0: Well, uh, well, that's fine. But, like, who is more famous as a Gonzaga player than Adam Morrison? Emphasis on the word famous.
1: Derek Rivio.
0: Derek Ravio. I do remember Derek Ravio. Yes. No, Dan Dickow.
1: Exactly. I love the Zags.
0: But like Adam Rui, Rui
1: Hachimura, maybe, because he was a humongous deal in Japan. But if we're only saying here on in the States, it's obviously Adam Morrison. Yes.
0: Well, like Rui Hachimura is probably the right answer because of um, how big of a deal he is in Japan. Yes. Do you know, like, like the Grizzlies had Yuta Watanabe, um a few years ago? And it was like... There were 50 people from Japan living it's, in Memphis covering yeah. Utawananabe. Yeah. It was outrageous. And yeah. so Rui Echimora might be internationally more famous than that, but you get the point. Adam Morrison is a all-time great college basketball figure. And what I remember about that is J.J. Reddick was a star. First off, when you step foot on campus as a white guard at Duke – who can actually play? You're a star. It's yes. over with. And then he's and cocky not,
1: on top of it. So then, yeah, oh breaks. yeah. So you're
0: not, and, and and then you're hated. Like there's a certain cycle to this, which is another interesting thing. I I, I saw this on Twitter. Somebody make the point. I believe it was Bar, Barstool uh, that you know it's it's wild to think about. JJ Reddick went from this despised college basketball player to like a pretty likable NBA player. Like yes. people like JJ Reddick. Yeah. I think he's funny and he's smart and all those things. And so. What I remember about that is J.J. Redick was an established college basketball star, really unlike anything we have anymore. You know, like a a guy who goes to a program like Duke and is a high-level player for four consecutive years, like wins at least a national player of the year as a junior, then comes back as a senior. And then the other side of it was Adam Morrison, who kind of came out of nowhere. We've talked about it before, like it was Maui Invitational, and Morrison goes big, big, big on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and – I remember Gonzaga was coming into FedEx Forum that year to play Memphis, and by the time that game happened, it was like you, you, you tickets were outrageous. Everything sold out. Adam Morrison was a rock star in yes. sports because of the long hair, the mustache. And so it was – and then the, – there's like you you would hear stories or see stories Adam Morrison and and J.J. Reddick now play video games together online and they're both like these massive figures in college basketball it was a really it was a a a neat time and it and that was the season before I moved from the commercial appeal to uh to CBS Sports
1: Duke went 32 and 4 Reddick's final season in college got beat trivia time how did Duke lose in the tournament that season
0: lsu big baby
1: there we go sweet 16 loss and uh but duke was the number two team at big Ken baby thomas. and
0: who was the other player on the team lsu the tall they tight. had a couple
1: they had uh tyrus thomas he went to the nba uh big got, baby got,
0: got seats for watch the throne in new orleans jay-z and kanye west floor seats awesome tyrus directly thomas. behind tyus thomas there we go <laughs> couldn't see a thing I'm just, I could see, but I had to move around. I mean, he's tall.
1: Garrett Temple also on that LSU team. Love remembering some guys here. Uh, Duke was the number two team at Ken Palm that season, even with the Sweet 16 loss. Gonzaga was the number 33 team, despite a 29-4 record. Also lost in the Sweet 16. We know how that ended. UCLA,
0: there we go. Um, J.J. Reddick's four years in college. Yeah. Never won a national championship. Helped Duke get a number one seed three of the four years but lost in the Final Four one year, and then in the Sweet 16 in 2005 mm-hmm. and 2006. In order, J.J. Reddick was eliminated from the NCAA tournament by Kansas in 2003, UConn in 2004, Michigan State in 2005, and LSU in 2006.
1: Yeah, Morrison and Reddick having their college careers end on the same night that Thursday of that season was... Uh, uh, it wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't like a major, major shock, but it was pretty sizable. Duke was expected to be LSU, and Gonzaga was certainly seen as capable of knocking off UCLA, and then they collapsed there. All right, here's where uh, I want to get to some fighting here, okay? Um, feel free to, to leave your opinions in the reviews or find us on Twitter. I tried to identify the 10 most famous college basketball players since the turn of the century. Now, my cutoff is this. If you played a college season in the year 1999, you are not eligible. So, guys who might be in the conversation, like Juan Dixon at Maryland, who won a title, Jay Williams, who was a huge deal at Duke before JJ Redick, they started in the 90s. They don't count. These are my 10. And then if and then if you disagree, give me a couple names, and I'll give you the other names eventually that I considered. Now this is, this isn't just accomplishment. I'm trying to identify literally the 10 most famous recognizable big name players in men's college basketball this century. All right. So here it is in chronological
0: Let's do this. Let's do this. You want to try Let me and guess? Just throw, throw out names and see how many I match on you.
1: Okay. Okay, yeah, so you're going to throw okay. out the names and see if the, and see if you can get them. Okay, so obviously JJ Reddick. Yes, he's one of the 10. Adam Morrison. Yes, clearly one of the 10. Let's stay with the white guys. Jimmer. Definitely one of the 10. Yes. He just is. Yes. He just is.
0: Okay. Um, Zion.
1: Absolutely one of the 10. I argue he is the most famous of the 10 because of the social media area. He, Barack Obama went to his games as Supernova. I think he's number one. Anthony Davis. I don't have Anthony Davis on this list. If you said 10 most talented college basketball players, he's on the list. I'm sorry, Kentucky fans. I don't think Anthony Davis National player
0: of the year who won a national title
1: at Kentucky. Wait till you get to the rest of these names. Also taking into account the fact that he is one and done. And if you stay in college a second year, a third year, a fourth year, you're clearly more famous as a college basketball player most of the time than if you're a one and done. Zion Williamson was an exception.
0: I got one for you. My homie, Mateen Cleaves. no. Played in the nineties doesn't
1: doesn't count. Played in the nineties, and he would not make this list. He he won a national championship. He's in not 2000. in the top. Wait till you hear these names. You've gotten four.
0: Well, can we at least establish you won a national championship in two thousand? I'm I agree with you. <laughs> so stop saying he played in the nineties. He I mean, did he though. Technically, he, he did. But he also played in the
1: two thousands. He did. I told you that the 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 criterion for this was that you could not have played any college basketball in the nineties to be on this list. That's silly.
0: That's a silly criteria. Okay, let me keep thinking. Uh, I, we've already, like... Jay Williams? Oh, my God. I already the 90s? I
1: told you he's not on the
0: list. Play to the 90s. I'm, I'm brainstorming. I'm not listening. <laughs> People say you learn a lot from listening, and I just don't do it that much. You're
1: at four. There's some names on here where you're going to be like, oh, of course, Okay,
0: um, Mario Chalmers.
1: What in the world? Not even under consideration.
0: He hit one of the most famous He's shots. He's not one of the, history. like, 25
1: most famous players of the century. No, not in the college. No, no, no. Chalmers for the top? Come on, dude. Get, I thought
0: you'd get to five out of five. Okay, Robert Dozier. <laughs> Dozier for the championship. You left Chalmers and Dozier off? That was one of the most famous shots and one of the most famous missed shots. Not in the on the NCAA list. tournament.
1: Not on the list. Okay, I give up. Oh, give me one more. Dude, who is the most famous vilified white player ever? Oh, Grayson Allen. There we go. I was just tired of naming white guys. It seems racist on some level. He's five. Okay. Here's the rest of the list. Two-time national champion, four-year player, lottery oh, Tyler pick.
0: Tyler He's not a two-time national champion, but he's got to be on the
1: Correct. list. Correct, he's on the list. Arguably number two behind Zion, Tyler Hansborough. Two-time national champion. Get ben Hansborough. Put Ben Hansborough on, too. How about this? Ben Hansborough, second-team All-American.
0: Don't
1: Crazy. Um, two-time national champion, four-year college player, lottery pick, Joakim Noah. That's a good one. Tyler Hansborough. Tyler Hansbrough. This next one, all right, uh, the first one in the line here I I almost went with Trey Young here, but Trey Young did not make the list. Remember Trey Young was literally getting updates on broadcasts with his stat line to the point where he became hated like. People hated Trey Young on a level that was approaching JJ Redick, and he was he was only a one year player. But Trey's not on the list, so instead I, I, of
0: people were hating Trey Young, I are don't you remember kidding that me? Yeah,
1: I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah,
0: I know, I know. I knew Knicks fans hate yeah. him now. No, I, yeah, I no. I I, did a,
1: I I talked to his his family about this. It was a story that I was gonna write, and then eventually never wound up writing because they didn't want to bring more attention to it. But yes, they he's faced like a lot of venom. Uh, yes, did not. Was not popular, but I knocked off Trey for Carmelo. I get it.
0: Trey Young was hated nationally, but by college basketball fans is not accurate. That can't be accurate.
1: Nobody cared that much. Uh, the people literally had visceral. He was just a little guarded. Oklahoma had visceral reactions to the way that ESPN covered Trey Young. That was definitely a thing. Really? We used to go Trey Young over under on this podcast. <laughs> we led did the that. nation in points and uh, assists as a freshman had never done before. Trey Young borderline made this list uh, o- only because Oklahoma, frankly, didn't make a final four. He didn't. But who I did put on there, I did put Carmelo Anthony on this list because he was That's a good
0: one. That's super
1: good. heralded. First game ever on, on co- in college basketball on ESPN at the Garden, Syracuse, wins the national title.
0: Carmelo- oh, 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 oh. Guess who was at that game? Uh, Derek Ravio. Derek Ravio was not there. Neither was Ben Hansborough. GP was there.
1: Do you know Ben Hansborough wasn't there? Can you prove that?
0: I I think I can prove that. Okay. I'd have to go. Let's work on that one for the next one. I think I I I could as soon as I solve this Brian Laundry situation. You want you want
1: Carmelo Anthony or you want Mario Chalmers, by the way?
0: Oh Carmelo, definitely. I was at I was at Melo's first game and last game. First game, trivia time who they play? Memphis. What was the outcome? Memphis and, and lost. Syracuse lost. Jeremy Hunt. Yes. Jeremy Hunt balled out on Syracuse.
1: Mello had a breakaway dunk and Dick Vitale lost his mind. Mello was highly hyped going in and he lived up to it. He's gotta be he's gotta be on the list. So chronological Carmelo, JJ, Adam Morrison, Joe Noah, Tyler Hansborough. You've already said Jimmer, Grayson, Zion. We got two more players here. I went Stephen Curry. Make, Definitely makes the elite eight and returns all American twice. He's on there. I put in Stephen Curry and I bumped a Okafor, defensive player of the year, three time all American, academic all American at UConn. Y- y- huge, huge presence. But I think Stephen Curry was more famous than a Mecca Okafor. And the last player was a different UConn player, easily a top 10 most famous player, Kemba Walker, Carmelo. JJ, Adam Morrison, Joakim Noah, Tyler Hansborough, Stephen Curry, Jimmer Fredette, Kemba Walker, Grayson Allen, Zion Williamson. I think those are the 10 most famous college basketball players of the past 20 years. Parrish wants to throw in Mario Chalmers You're out of your mind. And then here are the other players that didn't make the list. Emeka Okafor, Trey Young, Anthony Davis were my first three cuts. Then you get into Kevin Durant, but one and done. Derrick Rose, but one and done. Michael Beasley, but one and done. Michael Beasley was an insanely good player, but I just don't think he was one of the ten most famous. John Wall, Demarcus Cousins, clearly. Greg Odin makes the title game in 07. Doug McDermott was a three-time first team All-American, but he was not one of the 10 most famous players. Shabazz Napier won a national title with UConn. And then like Chris Jenkins and Jalen Suggs became famous because they've hit two of the four or five biggest shots in the history of the sport. Didn't quite make it. Kate Cunningham last year, not quite. Lonzo Ball, not quite, although his dad really tried to get there. Uh, but Lonzo was super famous. He if was. just going
0: by famous. He was super famous.
1: He was, but I don't think he's quite top 10. Um, that's basically the list. If you want to get nuts and throw Obi Toppin into consideration, he wasn't easy, easily top 10. But anyway, anyone else I forget in that list? Mateen Cleaves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still even, him, but now that you've heard the list, Mateen Cleaves is in top 10.
0: It's a good, I, I, I give you, sometimes you have some ridiculous lists. That's a, that's a really good, that's a pretty good list.
1: I rank really every team list. in the sport. Of course I have ridiculous lists. But this one, yeah, I think. But if you, are, if you disagree, we do want to hear your feedback. Let us know. But I, I figure JJ Redick retiring uh, was a good time to just, well, let's just trot out a few names here. People that are too young to remember don't realize how huge of a deal and really how hated. Grayson approached it. He did. He did. He
0: was certainly more hated than Trey Young. Grayson Allen was. He was.
1: Yes, yes. I would say (sighs) Grayson was more rightfully hated. Like, J.J. had, like, J.J. was really, really good, and he knew he was really good, and he let you know he was really, really good, so people hated him for it. Grayson Allen brought it entirely upon himself with just idiocy on the floor and tripping people left and right to the point where he receives a one-game indefinite suspension. So, So, yeah. That's all I got.
0: Before we get out of here, on Monday, you posted 50 things to know about the upcoming season with 50 days left until the start of the season. What do I need to know about this season?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I gotta let you know right now. We're 49 to go. You wanna know right now? What do I need to know?
0: If you got a few minutes, tell me what I need to know about this season.
1: All right, so yeah, we are, we are approaching that time here, and... Uh, I mean I got some names to know in there. I'm not going to list off a bunch of other names there, but uh but if you want to first first and foremost, if you if you're listening to this podcast in the middle of September, we love you. We dearly love you and thank you so much. So you're probably aware of some of the stuff there, but if you want a refresher, this is basically what the piece uh serves. It's it kind of gives you some teams to know, some names to know, some good non-conference games. Give some opinions on the Baylor and Gonzaga and UCLA and all that good stuff there. Um, refreshers on conference realignment. Are you aware that the MIAC is now an eight-team league and and the Southland lost five teams? Southland's still somehow a conference. Not ideal. But I got some conference realignment stuff in there as well. Um, what else? On there? I'll give you some good non-conference games to know. Uh, heading into the season, mark them down right now. Okay, we got Champions Classic opening night. Here's one thing I had I mentioned in passing, though it's not the worst thing in the world, and maybe it's by design. But like, those are the only two games that matter on opening night. Is that okay by you? Like, we're gonna be
0: there covering them, so it's actually perfect for because uh, you're not missing anything True. by being here
1: for us. It might serve college basketball a bit better to uh, to do something beyond that. But anyway,
0: except the truth is there's, there's two primetime window. There's two windows at night. And yeah. those are the two games. Everybody will be watching. What, what, you don't need to counter program that. I mean, I I guess not. Like they, it do it, they don't do it in college football. Like, um, you know, they have that big, like, you know, however college f- football works, like they have that, you know, it's the first Saturday of college football. And then there's a game on Sunday night and a game on Monday night. And it's just, uh, it's just one game. And I have multiple games. They say, Hey, we're giving you a quality college football product to watch tonight. This is it. And for basketball, it's like, Hey, we're giving you two quality high profile basketball games tonight. One after the other. And uh, you can start focusing on other things tomorrow. I actually like the Champions Classic not being counter-programmed at all.
1: all right, good deal. Here are the first five, or at least five of the biggest non-conference games, non-Champions Classic division to be aware of that first uh, week plus. You got Villanova at UCLA, November 12th. That, uh, that's on the weekend that Friday. Texas at Gonzaga. Could be a top-five matchup. Almost certainly will be a top-five matchup. Um, Same with Nova UCLA. Could be a top-five matchup. And those are on-campus games. Love it. Uh, Virginia at Houston. I think that's damn intriguing. Houston could be a borderline top-12 team this season. Ohio State at Xavier. Come on now. Good on Chris Holtman. Doesn't get enough credit for the way he schedules. And then Gonzaga, UCLA, November 23rd, obviously the famous rematch of the Final Four. Epic, uh, that's going to be in Las Vegas. There's a bunch more games that you should know. The two best MTEs, Battle for Atlantis, is better than Maui this year. It's not even debatable. Arizona State, Baylor. Auburn, UConn. Michigan State, Loyola, Chicago. Loyola, Chicago was really good last year. It's going to be almost as good this year. And then Syracuse, VCU. And the best four-team MTE is right here in the Nutmeg State where I live. Tennessee, Villanova, North Carolina Purdue those are probably all going to be top 20 teams. GP's got them all. I think he's got all four of those in his top 20 right now. You got UNC top 20? I do. Yeah, all four top 20 teams. So that's some that's some uh that's some good stuff there. Got some league predictions, but yeah, we are uh We're 49 days out from the start of the season. Oh, by the way, the one thing I don't have in that that I actually, I'll mention real quick here because I thought this was damn cool. Did you see the release that came out on Monday where the Pac-12 and the SWAC have entered into this series where we're going to have Pac-12 play road games at, the, at, at SWAC schools. It's not just going to be, you know, the Pac-12 and, and SWAC teams are going to... They're all going to go play at Pac-12 venues. No, it is, it is going to be a situation where Pac-12 schools will go and play. Um, you know, you've got... Uh, Oregon, Florida, AM, uh uh they're gonna do a home and home. USC Alabama State Home and Home. Arizona and Southern are gonna do it, a home and home, Prairie View AM, Washington State, Grambling and Colorado. So this was this would have been something I would have included in the column, but the the news release came out after it went to publish. I think this is just damn terrific. Like credit to the Pac-12 for doing this. Apparently it had been in planning for a year plus GP, but the idea that you're gonna have power conference schools. Going and playing at HBCU's true road games, those will happen in 23, uh, for the most part, 22 and 23. I think it's just a cool thing for the sport, and hopefully we'll see some other leagues be able to do this. Because when it comes to the SWAC and MEAC, where they are geographically, like it'd be great if we saw the SEC or the ACC do this as well, because it's just something that isn't done ever and the fact that the pac-12 is doing it uh wanted to give them a little bit of love and uh, credit to Jamie Zdaninovich, who's the uh the number two there uh and run kind of runs basketball for the league um i think it's a wonderful idea and i hope it's something that we see sticking around for years and years
0: no it's great um you know you, you often you know particularly in recent years here people in positions of power whether it's you know basketball coaches at at high major programs or people who work in conference offices and they're like, you know, we need to do more for these schools and we need to, you know, create stages for them. And it's like, okay, we'll do it. You know, you have the power to do Mm -hmm. that. Like if you're a high major coach and you want to go play in HBCU, you can do that. You're in charge of that. And so it's nice to see an entire conference. um, say, you know what, we'll do it. We'll, we'll lead by example. We'll put our money where our mouth is, so to speak. And we're not just going to say we need to do more for these schools and create stages for these schools. Um, we're actually going to create a stage for these schools. We're going to go to these schools. We're going to take our student athletes to these places to be around these other student athletes and to be on these campuses. And so absolutely, I'm glad you brought it up. It was not in my notes, but it was a, a, a significant announcement and one that deserves some attention.
1: You want to call it a day?
0: Oh, I wish I could. <laughs> Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Ellis Kidd, legend. Shouts to Now, Thank you guys for listening once again to the I Own College Basketball Podcast. Middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. Not even close. Not even close. We've gone from dumbest pandemic of my lifetime to undeniably dumbest pandemic in the history of the world. In the history of the documented world, there has never been a more idiotic pandemic than this pandemic. If you haven't subscribed yet, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate it. While you're there, rate it five stars. Leave some nice comments. We'll talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care.